My name is Joe, and this is the first episode of the Shut Up and Build Bikes podcast. I'm freaking excited to launch this podcast. If you've been following me on YouTube and Instagram for a while, you'll know that I've been promising this show for a little over six months, and I've been failing to deliver, so I'm sorry about that. Uh, but here it is. It's finally here. The plan is a new episode every Monday, same time, every week. Uh, so hold me to that. Uh, and in and, and just a minute, I'm going to start playing the r- interview that I recorded with Chris Henry of 44 Bikes, and uh, it's a doozy. I think it's a great interview. I think we got out some great questions, and uh, hopefully it's really interesting and also helpful uh, to folks who are interested in frame building. Uh, but right before we do that, since this is the first episode, I just want to explain a little bit about who I am, my background, and also... Um, you know, what I hope to, to pull off with this show, you know, like what is the stunt that I'm trying? What, how many buses am I trying to jump with my motorcycle figuratively? Uh, let me tell you all about that jump that I'm trying to make. So my name is Joe Roganbuck. I live in Syracuse, New York. I've been into custom frame building for like 10 years, almost sort of, uh, you know, I, I first got seriously interested in bicycles in 2009. I was 19 years old. I was in college. I'd ridden bikes as a kid, but like, actually got interested in bicycles, bought a road bike, took a, you know, did a bike tour and, uh, just, I fell into it, like f- fell super in love, super hard, super quickly. And it didn't take long for me to find out about, well, first fixies, right. Uh, you know, like building a fixie, but it was only a couple months after that I found out about frame building and that was like that times 10, right. Times a hundred. And uh, I thought that was even way cooler. And, uh, and then I saw a frame building class uh, in my state of Michigan uh, with Doug Faddock in Niles, Michigan. It was a old school lugged frame building class, lugged steel bikes where you braze them up. And um, I signed up for the class. There was an opening and I took it. So I was two years through college. I took it over the summer. It was two weeks long. I made a, uh, a fixie bicycle, like a track frame, right? That was kind of the, the heat of the the heat of the moment or whatever. It was the, the flavor of the moment. And, uh, and of course I was new to bikes and I wanted to make that. And I did, it was cool. I rode that bike quite a bit for a couple of years. And, um, anyhow, then I went back to school. I finished college, took me two more years. I didn't have a shop space. So I was able to tinker in some like independent studies that I had with a metal sculpture professor who rode mountain bikes. He let me have a, you know, some, like a locker in the, in the art studio and I would practice brazing and stuff. And it wasn't until after I graduated college that I moved to Syracuse, New York. And so now for the last six years, I've had a shop space of my own and I've been able to make bicycle frames and do shop stuff. And it's freaking sweet. Uh, I love having a shop. So, uh, but I didn't have one for a while now. Now I've had one. Uh, I've been making bikes. It's, I've only made about 17 bicycles, which is actually not that much. I think my sort of trajectory was always that I wanted to make something good and it wasn't about banging out quantity. It was about really being thoughtful as I went into each new project. And so I didn't actually make a whole lot of them. And in hindsight, maybe it would have been a a more expedient way to learn to just crank through more of them. Uh, Certainly like the fabrication side of like welding and machining probably would have been faster development that way. But uh, anyhow, that's what I've been doing is uh, making bikes, working crappy part-time jobs and, um, uh, you know, just trying to live cheap so that I could afford to have time in my shop. I, I, I loved about frame building that it was this thing where uh, it requires a lot of skill. You're making a finished product that's beautiful uh, you're making a finished product that you have a really cool relationship with. The rider gets to enjoy the bicycle in a really cool way. I feel like it, it's like a deeper connection that you have with your bicycle than most other mechanical things that you have a connection to. And then I especially liked that if you were really good at frame building, you could possibly make your living by doing that and you didn't need to go get a job and work for other people. So I always thought frame building was just such a cool thing and I wanted to do it and I took it very seriously and I kind of, you know, spent a lot of the years in my 20s trying to figure out how to do it and uh, how to build up a shop for it. And uh, when I was getting started, 
there weren't good podcasts. There weren't good YouTube channels. There were little gems here and there. What we had was like frame building email list serves. We had Flickr. Later on, Instagram became huge for this. And uh, that's the main place that I learned about frame building. And I made a big mistake in my own journey that I felt like I was wasting people's time. Uh, you know, a frame builder like Chris, who I'm interviewing today, somebody who actually has been doing this stuff for a while, has built lots of bikes and knows what they're doing. I felt like I would be a burden if I sent them an email or a phone call to ask them, uh, you know, like, how do you do that? Like, how can I not do this so badly? And so, um, you know, I think that was a really foolish move on my part. Uh, because actually I found that, uh, the more I get integrated in the bike frame building community, the more I learn that people actually, most frame builders are pretty happy to share and pretty happy to help. And, uh, you know, they, they were, uh, in, in the recent past or maybe the distant past in some of their cases, they didn't know what they were doing either. And they're happy to share and they're happy to help. Not everybody, but for the most part, I've, I've really seen that to be a theme right? Over the years, I've established a lot more connections through going to trade shows and through being on the internet, uh, Instagram and other places. I've actually connected with a lot of these frame builders who do know what they're doing. And so now that I've made a lot of these inroads and now that, uh, <laughs> you know, like I've, I've learned a little bit, I'm not going to say I'm an expert frame builder, but, uh, I've learned a little bit. And so like, I want to share the things that I've learned. And I also want to extract like information and, and helpful thoughtful sort of advice out of these other folks and also i just think it's entertaining a good podcast a good interview can really be interesting to listen to and so that's kind of what i'm trying to do with this show it's a half hour to hour format probably once a week every monday probably it'll come out and uh, you'll be able to download it and listen to it in your shop or on the way to work and you get some perspective from another builder who uh, you know, some, some folks might be newer to frame building and some folks might have be, you know, like veterans of, of the craft or something, but I'm going to have these different guests and I'm generally going to have a guest and interview them and try and bring some sort of useful information out in the interview that other people can benefit from the sort of resource that I would have killed for, uh, you know, in the, in the early 2010s when I was, uh, studying and learning about this stuff, I'm not going to say there was a vacuum of information, you know, there was information being posted on the internet, pictures from people's shops and, and little write-ups and forums and stuff. But, uh, you know, I think that there's a lot more room for, uh, you know, YouTube and podcasts and, and other sorts of content to help people get excited about frame building and to learn about frame building. And so that's sort of the thrust of what I'm trying to do with this show. I hope that you'll join me. I hope that you subscribe. I hope that you follow along and I hope you listen to it in your shop and share it with other people that you know that might be interested. And I'm going to do my best to deliver on the promise of making a good show that is worth your time and that you can benefit from. And so this week's episode, episode number one, we're talking to Chris Henry of 44 Bikes. Chris Henry is in New Hampshire. Uh, he has been uh, making bike frames out of this cute little horse barn or something, some little shed in his backyard that he converted to a frame building shop. It's adorable. Uh, if you haven't seen pictures of it, you got to go on the internet. I'm, I'm sure most of you would have seen pictures of this. Uh, it's just, uh, it's very quaint. It's very beautiful. You know, really puts the romanticism and <laughs> the idea of like toiling away in your own shop, making a beautiful product and passing it along to someone else. Uh, Chris makes just gorgeous welds, gorgeous bikes. Just uh, when you go to a trade show and you see his booth, the bikes, oh, they look great. Chris is so friendly and so helpful. Uh, I've known him longer than I've known most frame builders, and he's always been, uh, you know, willing to take some time for a phone call or an email to help explain something. And uh, I just can't say enough nice things about his work and about, uh, you, know, all, you know, the stuff that he makes and his his contribution to the community. So uh, without blabbing anymore, let's get into this interview. I think it came out awesome, uh, and uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really happy to share it with you all. Welcome to the show, Chris. Uh, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thanks, Joe, for having me. Yeah, thanks so much for being on the show. Um, let's start things off. I wanted to ask you if you could, for, for the small percentage of folks who might not already know who you are, uh, take a minute and just self-describe sort of what 44 Bikes is and, uh, and how you got that going and where you're at today. Sure. So, in, in a word, I basically specialize in anything with knobs that, that touches dirt. Uh, that's mountain bikes and road bikes, and it, it's, it's a lot of custom work. 
Um, but pretty much the the most part of what I actually build is um, they're they're made to made to order bicycles, um, and customers come to me. Usually, the basic customer outline is someone who has been riding for 15, 20 years, own multiple bikes, and a lot of the stereotypical things are they want to combine a couple of attributes of several bikes that they have into one bike, um, or Another classic scenario is that they've been mountain biking for a very long, very long time, and they've heard about my work through the grapevine, um, and they're looking for a hardtail mountain bike. And it seems as if if you want a mountain bike, you come to, to Chris Henry at 44 Bikes. So that's kind of how I've established myself. And, wow. and um, yeah, just I do a lot of, a lot of testing a lot of riding and all that gets funneled into all the bikes that I do build. So everything is time tested and, and, um, basically trail vetted. Um, yeah. that is a great reputation to have staked out to be the hardtail guy that people are like, well, I heard that if you really, if you want, <laughs> if you want a good hardtail, you better call Chris. That's a, that's a great position to have. Yeah. And it's, I try to be very modest, but it is something that I have noticed that I've been lately getting a lot of, um, especially from the East coast, a lot of single speeders. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like word got out this past year and, or, or sometime last year. And there has just been this flood of bikes coming, coming in or requests coming in and then orders That's heading great. out of just single speed mountain bikes. And if I've often toyed with the idea, well, if I ever did make quota, a production model, what would that be? And the Marauder, with a single speed option seems to be that, that type of bike that most people are looking for. It's a, it's kind of a, a, a combination of two bikes in one where you can easily throw gears on, but strip it down and make it as clean as possible and, and have a great single speed. And, um, just for, for modern, modern trail riding, um, I've feel as though I've honed the geometry pretty well. And, and now after years of prototypes and building, I finally feel like I'm in a place where I actually understand geometry and and kind of building a bike that is an extension of the rider yeah just given my industrial design background and and one of the things that was that was passed on to me was usually you really don't start quote building until you've built 100 bikes and sure enough right around like 99 or 98 it was like a light went on and so many things that i had been concentrating on i no longer had to concentrate on and they were just fell into automatic mode. That's awesome. So that that really freed me up to the tools no longer the tools in the process weren't necessarily in the way anymore and mm-hmm. they were more integrated as like an extension of my my hands. So yeah. that, that was kind of a nice a nice light bulb light bulb that went on but also very gratifying because I felt as though it was like a new beginning and it's like all right now where is this 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 new this new plateau where do i go from here and so yeah when the when the mechanics of it and the hands-on of it um aren't the only thing that like you know when when you can focus on a little bit bigger uh sort of general questions that are maybe more relevant to the experience of riding or something than just the how it gets made and and how to make the process work or something yeah correct and that's one of one of the points that i was thinking of uh today was and I think about this often is bicycles never were a means for competition for me. Mm-hmm. They were always a, a focus of, of exploration of something that it was like I would fall back on as a means of release mm-hmm. and something that I could just complete, like whatever was bothering me or whatever I was thinking about that all just kind of went away and I went for a bike ride. So it was a, <laughs> it was a means to really recuperate and, and, yeah. and uh, center myself. And that experience, I, I really bring that to the table and, and, and really try to ask questions of clients like that, are, that get at to the heart of, heart of what cycling is for them. Yeah. And that, and that enables me to then sit back and listen to what they're, what they're saying are, and, and it really allows me to, to parse uh, wants and needs because mm-hmm. those are two very different things. A client or rider could want something very specific but it's up to me to really decipher what it is that they actually need yeah, and then go about 
creating that bicycle that solves those those real world problems. Yeah, because there's so many compromises involved in making a mechanical device that can do the things you want it to do, and um, and and we I think like the human brain has a propensity for for like seeing a certain thing and getting kind of focused on it, uh, but. Yep. If you've been through the design process a like hundred or a couple hundred times and you've built lots of bikes, you start to realize uh, which things, you know, you, you tend to maybe think about or focus on a lot that in the end have less of a, uh, you know, <laughs> are, are less important than you maybe initially thought. And so, you know, as you get more experience with that sort of thing, you can provide a lot of value to your customers by helping them like see the big picture of like helping them uh, working with them to find what it is that they're actually a- after. Correct. And, and part of, part of my trading training came from industrial design background. Um, and that, that, that ability or that, that thought process process of problem solving, mm-hmm. um, it is really important. And I think that kind of sets me apart from a, a lot of other builders in, 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 my neck of the woods. Yeah. So I wanted to how, ask, how we go. yeah, that was one of the questions is like, how, how do you, when you're describing 44 bikes, how do you choose to frame it? Like, how do you choose to differentiate yourself from the other, you know, there's a lot of custom bike frame builders and there's also production bikes and, yep. um, you know, there's a lot of ways that you could, but I mean, like, what do you think is the best way to, to like, what, what's your favorite way to differentiate yourself from the other bikes? So p- part of, like I was saying earlier, part, part of where I, the world I come from is industrial design mm-hmm. and the way in which I was kind of trained and, and taught to solve problems is a little different in the, in the fact where we kind of stand back and establish like what exactly is the problem mm-hmm. and what are the potential solutions and then start working through those in a very methodical way but also doing a lot of research in terms of user interface or how are the, how are, what are existing um, solutions that are out there that may could like, are there different technologies that could be brought from other industries that could cross over or, or are there, are there existing solutions that, that could be leveraged to actually improve upon what it is that I'm being called to do. Mm -hmm. Um, But when it comes to a bicycle, it has an intended purpose and it's a lot of times like that customer lives in a very specific locale and there's very specific terrain. Mm -hmm. So it's important for me to understand what all those parameters are at first. So that kind of gives me a, my driving lanes. (laughs) So so having those restrictions right from the beginning is really important, but then leaning on the knowledge and experience from all the R and D and testing that I've been doing just in with my own personal bikes Mm -hmm. and understanding all those things and then trying to ride on as, as much variety of terrain as I can, that then also allows me to say, well, if someone is asking for X, I can start to pick and choose, like, how do I actually build this bike? And what kind of geometry am I choosing? And what kind of components are we going to, going to be selecting? And, um, like, looking at it from a holistic standpoint of, of not just, like, head tube angle or chain stay length. It's like mm-hmm. all those things work together. Yeah. All those things, when combined, kind of create this extension of the rider for a very specific type of terrain or, or a broad sense of terrain and, and what are the best choices and, and where do we meet, need to make some compromises or where do, where do some changes need to occur in the process to actually create the, the, best, the best solution possible that really solves all their problems and, and delivers you know, both wants and needs, but, but really is, it's the emphasis on what does this person really need in order to achieve all their goals that they're looking for. Mm-hmm. So, now here's a your your uh, your your answer there is giving me a thought for another question that uh, sorry I didn't prep you for but I'm I'm sure. thinking uh, I'm curious about this question which is like your role as a frame builder as a custom frame builder do you feel like you would say it's a little bit more of a service that you're providing with your customer to help them like help them understand maybe like what you know how to like triage the most salient and least salient needs 
and help them understand, you know, because you've built a lot of bikes, you've designed a lot of bikes, you've put people on a lot of bikes. So you have a lot of perspective about this, that even a seasoned rider or racer or someone might not have the same uh, experience doing that a lot of times. Do you feel like what you do is in some ways more of a service of like helping people through that process and helping them understand and make good decisions? Like compared to just, uh, you know, some people would think of bike frame builder as someone who provides a product, you know, like the end product, mm. but uh, how good is the product going to be if you, if you can't get to what someone actually needs? I don't, I don't know if you think about that critically, like how much what you do is providing a service versus just providing a product or, or, you know, I mean, obviously the product is important. It's both, but I, I mean, I'm complete in a complete agreement with you. I mean, so much of what I do is listening and so much of what I do is providing customer service. Yeah. Um, from the very mundane to the very complex. So it's, it's, um, when customers come to me Mm -hmm. and they officially get on the list, I essentially say, you know, welcome to the family because you're a cyclist. I'm a cyclist. Even better if you're a mountain biker, Mm -hmm. we're family. Yeah. And that means, you know, like blood is thicker than water. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm going to take you under my wing. I'm going to listen and I'm going to provide you with my, my expertise, but at the same time, like, they also have a, a perspective. Yeah. They have experience. That's very important to me. And much of what I do is I spend a lot of time listening. Mm-hmm. Um, and because I have built so many bikes and dealt with so many different customers from around the world, it's, it's then I can provide some perspective to them. But also that's, it's two-way street. The customer yeah. oftentimes provides a lot of perspective for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's some very specific situations that it's like, whether I didn't think about that or it didn't occur to me, there are times when it's like, okay, that makes a lot of sense from the customer's perspective. Let's make that happen. Yeah. Um, and there's a subtle art to any conversation of, it's like they're coming to me for a very specific type of bike, but they're obviously attracted to the bikes that I build. Mm-hmm. So in that sense, you know, quote unquote, I have a product line. I've named bikes yeah. for, that, for that purpose. And, and it's, that's more of just like a, nuts and bolts of marketing you easily identify things, but at the same time, it's like you're coming to me for a Marauder mountain bike. And I build my mountain bikes in a, in a certain way. And, but you may have some things that you want in this bike. Some of them make sense. Some of them don't, but I'm not going to outwardly say that to the customer. And it's like the art, the art of the conversation of persuasion. It's like, how can I get them on my team (laughs) and get them, get them into my, my way of thinking, but don't alienate them at the same time mm-hmm. because, you know, you don't want to come off as someone who is over opinionated and just unbending. It's, yeah. you know, there's a, there is a fine line of that and, and customer service and, and treating people, you know, treating every question equally is, is really important. And I think that's something that everyone comes away with as is that, you know, every question is no, no question is a stupid question. Every question, every customer yeah. is important. So, that's a great answer. <laughs> um, I, I wanted to let's keep moving through the list. I wanted to ask you um, this really general question: what What made you want to go from riding bikes to making bikes? You know, I know that you uh, you went to RISD, right, and you studied industrial design, right? Was Correct. that your that was your degree? And yep. um, so, I mean, I, I can tell you've been interested in making things for a long time, and you've been riding bikes since forever. So, I mean, it's pretty pretty clear that, I mean, that's how it was for me. I liked making stuff and working on stuff, and I like riding bikes, and it just kind of goes together. But, I mean, can you think of, uh, you know, what, what do you tell people when they ask you that question? So, as a kid, um, I lived, I grew up just north of Philadelphia, and it was the traditional Roman block set up where there's trees out in front of every house and the end of the block is, is here. And, you know, so as a kid, I, I, mom showed me how to ride a bike, took off. And then it was, there was a series of telephone poles and I wasn't able to go past the first telephone pole. But at some point, you know, you're pushing your luck and you want to go to the end of the block that you get the green light on that. But going around the block was the big one. And finally my mom let me take the, the trip around the block. And in the cliche sense of, I finally found some freedom. It, bicycles have always been that, that escape mm-hmm. and that, that feeling of, of like complete, complete freedom. You know, like it's a total blank sketch, sketchbook for me. You know, it's like blank, blank palette. Um, and making the transition from riding bikes to building bikes almost never 
there never really was like a, a, a set time where I actually said like, I'm going to build bikes. It was always something that I was working towards. I always mm-hmm. knew I wanted to make, make myself a bicycle. Um, now, combining that into something that is like a profession and, and what's my trade. That was my dad's father, Poppy. He, he sat me down as a teenager right before I went to school. And he said, you know, you're going to be working for the rest of your life and take it from me. You need to find something that you really are passionate about and really love and, and make that your, what you end up doing. And, and that really just stuck with me. And, and from there on out, I was like, he's completely right. Mm-hmm. I am, am an artist by nature. I've always loved to draw. I've always loved to create things. And in the traditional, traditional STEM types of programs, like I excelled at those, but wasn't quite interested and always kind of fell back to, well, let's make something, let's make this better. Let's, you know, mm-hmm. let's create something. And the creative side of me, the ability to like, pick things apart in my head and rotate them in three dimensions and see them, you know, get exploded in my head is just, it was always innately there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have a previous degree as a goldsmith. So I was a goldsmith and silversmith for a few years um, before going back to school to become an industrial designer. And, and so I was always kind of tinkering with, with things. And my, my, one of my grandfathers was, was a, he was an iron worker and a TIG welder. So I had access to all these different disciplines and different things, but they all kind of came back to how am I going to apply this to actually make bikes? How am I going to apply this to actually start my own bike company? Yeah. <laughs> so it was always in the back of my head and there never really was a transition. It was me always just slowly working towards like whether conscious or not, I was slowly accumulating all these skills that had one definitive goal. Um, and I knew I wanted to do something in the cycling industry yeah. Of some sort. Um, and it basically, in order to enter the, the cycling industry, I basically had to create my own company um, and business. So, yeah, which you've I done very answers, well. I was, always, I was always constantly working towards this. Um, and luck would have it that all the, all the skills necessary for building bikes was something that I was just already working towards and, and accumulating. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think that's a that's a terrific answer because uh, it, it, you know it's it's not just welding and it's not just customer service, it's not just branding or marketing. It's all this. It's confluence of a lot of things, and especially riding, and especially Correct. like listening to the customer. And I think all that stuff is stuff that you've you've focused on well. And I think uh, to me, it strikes me that like you've done a good job of of uh, you know thinking about the big picture of like what's important, and you don't get stuck on any one thing too much. You know, to, correct, and that's. I think part part of the industrial design aspect is you have to understand where you've been, where you are presently, and where you want to go. Mm-hmm. And then that helps to try to – that actually creates those restrictions that then enables you to look at the problem and create solutions that, that, that keep all those things in mind. And with 44 Bikes, it's like – I had I had to build that when I was like for example when I was just creating the logo I had to kind of create that backstory behind what the logo means for me in order to actually create the logo so it was like well 44 was my my father like I come from a a football town and growing up I was shown all these you know heard all these stories about the old Bucksmont League and saw all these pictures of my, my father and my grandfather playing on the same field. Mm-hmm. Uh, my dad wore 44 and it was just like, I always wanted to just emulate my father mm-hmm. and I wanted, there was no question. Like I want to play football for the upper park Indians. You know, it's like, yeah. And, and that nostalgia, nostalgia of standing on the exact same field that my grandfather played on, that my father played on. And now all their kids and grandsons are playing on the exact same field. Like it just all fit in. And that's where the number four 44 comes from is just from that background and, and, just yeah. that, that long history of families playing on the same field. Um, so Now, uh, am I wrong about this? You have like a head tube badge, and then on the seat tube you have uh, sort of a congruent aesthetic, like a little badge that, that the customer gets to choose like their lucky number, right? Is that how it Correct. works? Correct, and so, so 44 was kind of became my lucky number of sorts. It yeah. always kind of came up in, in different things that I was doing or, or um, like kind of checkpoints in my life. And, and so 
I thought it would be cool to actually offer, say, okay, so instead of a, instead of a serial number, what's the customer's lucky number? Yeah, and I love that. And on a, on a seat tube badge. Um, yeah, and it, it kind of cool ties is, it all in. Correct. And, and so what, what's kind of nice is some, some customers know exactly what it is. And others, there's like, oh, I, you know, I don't have a lucky number. I need to think about this. And then, you know, you, there's a, a story behind those lucky numbers. And it's, it's, that's fun for me to, to hear what, what their yeah. stories are. Because I, I certainly have one. So Yeah. And that way, it's like, um, I feel like it brings relevance, too, to, you know, like you have 44 uh, as your number and you put it on the bike and then you give them an opportunity to have theirs and I feel like it really draws it together. I also, I particularly love, I did a YouTube video recently about head tube badges and I mentioned a bunch of them that different builders do and I mentioned yours and I mentioned mm-hmm. that I liked how there's this sort of congruence between the head tube and the seat tube that like these different zones of the bike are sort of like aesthetically tied to each other. But now I realize it's more than just the aesthetic too, because it's like your lucky number, their lucky number. There's a relationship between the builder and the customer and you both have your own story and you both have your own space on the frame. And it's, it's not just your bike and it's not just their bike, but it's like a, it's a project together. Yeah. And that's, that's a lot of how I, I frame each bike is no pun intended, but that's with the, with the customer. It's like I bring them into my process, but at the same time, this is their bike. As much as I'm building, basically I'm building my bike in their size, Yep. so much of, of the bike is still theirs. So that's just another way for me to allow them to personalize that yeah. without kind of sacrificing anything on my end. But at the same time, it's like it's still their bike, you know, and, and that's I'm building a bike for them and nothing gives me like the best part of the entire process is when, especially when the customer actually can come pick it up, is watching them you know, ride off down my lane, off and around the corner, up up the road. It's like, that's the best thing ever. Yeah. I just created this this vehicle that someone is then, it's going to t- transport them from one location to another location. And in between, there's all this possibility. And that's, whether it's a short ride or a super long ride, you know, the the stories and adventures that I hear about, that's, that's what it's all about. And that, that gives me the most immense amount of, of joy is to actually wow. see them, you know, riding off. So that's, <laughs> people ask me like, are you sad to see bikes go? And I'm like, no, like I'm really excited yeah. to get them out the door. Cause it's like, I, that, I that's what gives them meaning. love, I just love mountain biking or just riding a bicycle. So yeah. extending that joy to someone else is, you know, that's the, that's the, yeah, that's the proverbial cherry on on top of the whipped cream, you know. <laughs> yeah, why well, I, I had one of my questions to ask you was what's the most satisfying part of what you do, but I, I have to imagine that could be it. <laughs> that is it. Yeah, no, yeah, I, handing I, it off to the customer. Yeah, yeah, yeah because handing it off to the customer. As anyone who can, you know, fabricate or machine or build or whatever. Um, it's really satisfying to go through the process of like learning how to make something. It's really satisfying to make something, and after you've done it a couple times. Um, you know, you would just end up with a pile of stuff sitting around and uh, you can make another one, but then what are you going to do with it? And at that point, uh, you might still enjoy the process of making it, but unless, unless someone else can really appreciate what you do, uh, it doesn't, it doesn't, it it continually means less and less to you uh, every new one you make. Just as like, you can imagine, uh, maybe it's a weird example, like a, you know, a billionaire makes a, a, another, you know, another sale and they make a little more money or something. Well, at that point, it doesn't mean that much to them. That's maybe a weird example. But uh, as a maker, I <laughs> feel a whole like... other subject. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but like as someone who can make, it's like now that you've done it a handful of times, what is going to make each new build special? And it's like probably has less to do with the thing that you're making and more to do with the experience that it can provide someone else and like the relationship you can have with them and seeing seeing the excitement that someone else can have with it. Oh yeah, and, and and I guess from for perspective for your listeners, I'm an incredible, incredibly generous and giving person by nature, and being able to make something for someone has always been very much a joy of mine. So to be able to make something that's going to transport someone someplace yeah. and provide them with experience is that's really what you know that that's really why I'm doing this. Um, you know, it's, you got to make a living, but it's like, at the end of the day, it's like being able to provide that service for someone that then enables them to mm-hmm. go out and, and, you know, enjoy, enjoy life and, and create experiences. That's, I mean, that, that is just amazing for me. So, 
Yeah. Um, I, I had a question here. It's a little bit of a departure in, in sure. theme, but, uh, so the way I wrote this is, uh, yeah, a lot of, a lot of people compare and contrast custom frame building against the corporate retail bike world. And I was going to ask you what kind of trends or preoccupations you see in the industry that sort of miss the point. And what I'm thinking here is just, um, when, when you're a tracker specialized giant, when you're a big company and you have, uh, you know, like quarterly sales figures you're trying to reach and new color schemes and parts every year to sort of drive sales and blowing out last year's model. And it's like a very different business model than, than the small scale custom uh, bike frame building world. And I think it, it kind of shapes the way a lot of stuff is very different, right? And so oh, yeah. uh, the way that you do things, like you have a Marauder and it changes over time and there are new parts offerings that you have to choose from over time, but it's, it's a very different, everything about it is different. And so like, uh, yeah, I mean like what is it that you feel like are some of the strengths with a sort of a business model more like yours that, that you are freed up to do or that you inherently don't have certain kinds of pressures on you or I guess that sort of thing. Like if you, if you care to speak to, to some of that dynamic that is different fundamentally with your business model. Sure. So, so I guess what, what I've recognized over the years is the industry at large, I guess there, a lot of it is very race driven and as much, as much as racing can provide in terms of like R and D and feedback and, important things of that such uh, or of that sort. Um, The vast majority of, of, of cyclists don't race. Yeah. So there's so many bikes out there that are completely oriented towards racing that will never be raced. And I think a lot of the trends that I've seen happening in the custom world have been slowly influencing the industry at large. And the bikes that I'm now seeing coming out of industry are more, they're more oriented towards like they're not they're no longer you can race them certainly but now it's more they're a little more purpose built and and that to me is kind of where I'm seeing a lot of the custom stuff it's a lot of the custom stuff is more or is more um, purpose built machines mm-hmm. versus racing driven and as much as I appreciate racing it's like like I said before it's like I never saw like bicycles as a means of of like racing and competition. Yeah, it was about like I've freedom done, I've and done, escape. I've done plenty. I've done plenty of of that early in my life. Yeah, with you know intramural high school sports, it's like you know I did all that, and once I was done, it was it was time for something new, um, and that was education and and kind of expanding my horizon in that sense, and, and kind of growing as a person and and competition i know some people like i've not necessarily gotten into arguments but some people like there's a difference between racing and riding racing it's like you're driven with one singular purpose it's like and i I come from a very traditional sense of like first place and everyone else is losers it's like first (laughs) second third you know like fourth and fifth why are you even showing them yeah yeah you know it's like you you come to a race to dominate, like to win. Yeah, <laughs> you know. And and now at the same time, it's like there's a lot of emphasis on endurance racing, um, and like just finishing is a huge accomplishment. Like that, that's that's winning, and I, I completely understand and get that. But at the same time, it's like you've got to train. You have to have schedule. You have to. Have, it's like you don't have time to actually enjoy your bike. Yeah. When you really get down to it, you're really not enjoying it. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's like you're not stopping and watching the, watching the sunset or, or just like something catches your eye and you just stop in the middle of a race. You know, it's like, you're mm-hmm. not doing that. Yeah. No. It's like you're always looking over your shoulder. You're always looking in front of you. It's, it's just, it's, it gets to a level of ridiculousness. Yeah. But with bicycles and just riding and going out for adventure and, and like, and I think, part of my background of just riding BMX street was never about competition. It was always like, can I do that? How hard can I push myself? What can I, you know, what can I, what can I do? And every little like step of, of self-improvement or just like reaching new, some sort of new plateau of, of like pushing myself. And of course you can do that through competition, but um, just growing and actually, like, progressing um, is really important. But at the same time, it's like, 
not having this focus on racing, I, I guess, is is something that I'm starting to see from the from the industry. Yeah, and I, I guess like bringing it back all all together and coming back home is just like I can certainly build a race bike, but at the same time, what I'm really doing is, is I'm building a I'm building that cyclist's next bike that's going to take them to the next their next level, whatever that is. Yeah, um, and whether it's racing or not, whether it's whether it's anything, whether it's any of the reasons that they get on the bike and actually ride, you can, correct. You can tailor it to them and their needs uh, and the way they'll actually use it to make it the most enjoyable. Correct. And, and I think as humans, we get really serious and um, it's, really, it's really good to take a step back and go for a bike ride that has no means to any end. Yeah. You know, it's, don't, you know, like a lot of times, like, okay, so I'm constantly, you know, because I run my own business, I'm constantly like, all right, I got to take pictures for this, got to mark it back. Gotta... Sometimes it's like, I'm leaving the camera at home. This bike yeah. ride is mine. You know, and I'm just, and so much of what I do on the side is just, just for me. And I try to carve out time that is just for me and not focused on running my business. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've always tried to do that where it's, I'm not, you know, it's like you never put this stuff down, but at the same time, it's like sometimes you just you have to. Work-life um, balance? What's that? <laughs> right. <laughs> and that, that is something, you know, it's like I won't say I, I, quote, struggle with that, but that is definitely in the, in the back of my mind. And I always try to make time for all those things. Um, yeah. But at, at the same time, like because bikes have always been that release and that zone of just forgetting about everything, um, it's really great to put the device down, completely unplug, and just... Like, go for a bike ride, man. Yeah. <laughs> like let let loose. <laughs> like there was just a there was just this this local trail where there used to be a bridge over this huge rock like roll like roll down with a step. Yeah. And that that broke, and the local trail crew flipped the bridge out of the way, even though you still could ride it. But there was this tree in the way of the like the line to actually make it happen. Mm-hmm. And they cut that and removed it. And as they were like, there there's a local trail group in Greenfield that just buffs out the trail. It's like three miles from my house via dirt road. It's really idyllic setting. And I came up to this and I generally like to ride stuff where it's like, I don't scope lines out. I just, <laughs> I have to dab, I dab, you know, like if I fall, I fall, but I try to ride it like JRA basically. Like, yeah. I'm going to ride this and I'm not going to scope lines. I will occasionally if it's, if it, if it's pretty big, mm-hmm. but this one, I was like, it took me three tries over two rides, but I was like, I finally hit it. And it was like, that was awesome. And that didn't really have any meaning other than I can do this, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? So it's like those little fun accomplishments that are just for you that, yeah. that really makes riding so much better. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's not, it doesn't always need to be, uh, like, uh, goal oriented results oriented. It can just be, uh, or, or televised for that matter. Like yeah. I didn't have my device. There weren't, there weren't any, you know, friends there with mm-hmm. cameras taking pictures and things like that. It's like, that happened in isolation. No one knows about it except me. And it was super fun and gratifying. Yeah. You know, and yeah, the sort of like social media, like uh, moment that we're in and, uh, trying to market yourself as a business person. I can definitely relate to, I think a lot of people, yep. even without businesses could relate to that. Like, uh, feeling of like pressure to sort of like always yep. document and broadcast the, uh, the things that might be interesting, uh, that might be relevant to who you're trying to reach, uh, because you know, you, you, you need to make impressions. And so it's, Correct. it's and, funny and how like just being quiet and having a moment to yourself or like enjoying something for the sake of enjoying it can be like so relieving then. Yeah. And I, I think because technology has been coming at us at a rapid pace, I'm sure this is all going to work itself out at some, maybe it won't, but, but I, I have a, I have a sense that because a lot of this, a lot of the technology in, in terms of social media and things like that is, is so new. So many are, are using it to all different types of means and ends. Um, at some point, the, the light's going to go on and it's like, what's important. <laughs> and that'll happen at different rates with different people. Yeah. And but there's you know, a lag. Like, there's a. It takes a certain amount of time for that to like, yeah. sort of seep through the consciousness of the public. Yeah, and, and for example, like I, I am incredibly generous with all of my process, and I, and it was pounded into me, you know, like document your process, document your work. So that's just something that's integrated with how I do things. I'm constantly taking pictures. Um, there are also you know personal references for me to 
just in terms of like, how did I do this? How, and I can reference like, yeah. I can reference mistakes. I can reference successes and things like that and kind of better improve my work and in, in the process then help others um, with just how I'm doing things and share, share knowledge, that kind of stuff. But at the same time, it's like, I definitely carve out the time where it's like, I'm not bringing anything along on this ride, you know? And yep. sometimes I've even gone to the extreme of like, you know, I'm not even bringing a pump, no spare, no nothing. Like <laughs> if, if, if shit goes down, like I'm walking out and I've had to do that occasionally, but sometimes it's just like, you want to just completely unclutter yeah. whatever it is that you're doing and just say like, I'm going in here cold. Like I'm jumping in feet first, head yep. first, and just going after it and yeah. whatever happens, happens. <laughs> yeah. That can be really satisfying. Uh, so I have two more questions on the list and we can wrap this up. Uh, first one, did the shift from after hours hobby building, building to full-time building, make it any more or less fun for you? You know, I know you were studying and you made hubs as far back as what, like 15 years ago or more. And you've, you've, you've had your hands on bicycle making related things and frame building for a long time, but there was what sometime in the last five or so years, you made a a switch to full-time frame building, I, I think somewhere in the last five years or 10 yeah, years? Yeah, 2012. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, there's always this discussion with, like, with creative and artistic pursuits that uh, if you do it for money, you're going to hate it or it'll ruin it for you or something. And uh, what was that experience like for you? So I guess, like, like I said, it was never – I was always working towards this. I never saw it as a hobby. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just innately what I was doing and the fact that I was combining my passion for bicycles and especially mountain biking with what it is that I was kind of trained to do in terms of industrial designer. Um, and then just all those stack skills of pig welding, machining. Um, it was this natural progression. Um, the other, I guess the other thing is, was that I kind of planted my, my flag on top of the hill of like, this is how I want to live and how, how do I make, how do I make the money and the job work around these things mm-hmm. um, that I really enjoy to do? Because um, as much as I enjoy the work, it's like I have to make time to put those things down. Yeah. Uh, so there's there's a the element of discipline in there too. But throughout my day, I wanted work to be more integrated with with life. Um, so it's not like this hard line of this is work, this is play. It's both of those things can mold into one, one another. Mm-hmm. Um, and that enabled me to just be more myself, but also just enjoy the process of working because when I was fresh out of school, I was a shoe designer for both Reebok and Converse. And when I made the transition from Reebok to Converse, Converse was just coming out of, out of bankruptcy. And it was like nose of the grindstone, kind of expected for you to be there much later in the day than, than five or six o'clock. And it was just it just grinded me down. You know, mm-hmm. I, I get in my car at the end of the day, the sun is setting and I'm still not having been able to get out for a bike ride in that, you know, Oh, and by the way, I have a two hour commute the other way. It's like, it just wore me out. And, and right then and there, I was like, this is not how I want to live my life because I yeah. started noticing time was accelerating. You know, it's like, you'd wake up, got to get to work when's lunch? When am I out of here? You know, like it, yep. you, I just started watching the clock and, and in between those, you know, in between lunch and, and going home, it was like, it just would happen in a flash Yeah. and working for yourself. Time definitely slowed down, which I love when it's like, you look at the clock, it's like, Oh, it's only one o'clock. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's so much of the day left. It is a so great many more, feeling. So many more things to do, but so much more opportunity to like, there's other things that I can do. Um, and and so I guess the end all be all was just making my life more enjoyable and like, how do I want to integrate work with my life better um, and not let it rule me at the same time, but at the same time, like basically it's work and life balance. And that's, I hope I, I've kind of achieved that and, and worked towards that. Um, yeah. So. so, so now that you're building bikes as your primary sort of job and running this company, it's not just the fabrication, of course, but like all the things associated with a brand and a company and the customer service, uh, you, you don't, do you, or don't you feel like, uh, it, it has like squashed part of your, what, what you once loved of it, I guess, like that's maybe what I'm sort of getting at is like, um, or I was going to say, I guess if anything, I, I'm completely immersed in what it is that I love 
about our, like, about about cycling, about design, about problem yeah. solving, about customer. Like I love chatting with people. I love going for bike rides and creating and owning a small bike company has enabled all those things to come together. And because I do live in New Hampshire, I am a little removed from society. I guess I could say, just yeah. like I live about a, it's about an hour and a half North of Boston, you know, we're about 35, 40 minutes from Nashua or Manchester. Mm-hmm. We're off the beaten path. It, it reminds me of kind of the area that I did grow up in Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. So it's like, I know where the city is and I know where the bustle is, but I'm removed from it. And there's this nice, quiet, slow pace here. Mm-hmm. And if I need to go fast, I can. Like, I can fall right back into RISD studio mode and, like, nose of the grindstone and mm-hmm. get things done. But at the same time, it's, like, this nice, this really nice pace. Um, but also, like, what's kind of nice about the cycling community is that is my extended community. Yeah. Um, so it puts me in touch with a lot of different people from all across the world and my yeah. bikes get to go all across the world. And that to me is really gratifying. So it, yeah. it's a, this nice smooth transition between all those, those aspects. Yeah. So whereas your actual residence is sort of in the, in the sticks and it's pretty quiet, you get yep. a lot of uh, meaningful social connection through the customer work and through staying, uh, staying active with your, with your work. Is that sort of what you're saying? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's like I have to keep up on trend. I have to keep up on what, what's happening in the industry. But at the same time, it's like I am like where we live is, is very quiet. It is very slow. It is, you know, slower paced. So yeah. that sounds pretty nice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> sounds it, like it a is. pretty and, nice setup, honestly. Yeah. I mean, I mean, like living in the city, we lived in Providence for a number of years. And it's like when you remove yourself from that, it's like, wow, there is a lot of white noise going on in the background (laughs) that you don't you don't really realize and so like for example you know you go out for a bike ride here it's like you don't hear anything yeah and that's real nice (laughs) because it really allows your head to just like untwist Mm -hmm. um but the the whole just building custom bicycles for customers puts me in touch back in touch with that community yeah and it builds upon that community and family and um it's really nice to be part of that larger group of, of builders. Uh, you know, we all, like, you know, we all talk, we all chat. Yep. We're always passing on information, things like that, and asking questions. So that's really gratifying. You know, if someone comes to me with questions or vice versa, um, that puts me in touch with a community. Um, so although I do live off the beaten path, oftentimes I don't feel like I'm that far away from any of those people at any, any given point yeah. in time. So that's, well, that's, that's the best of both worlds. Yeah. Everybody wants the uh the romantic sort of um you know like being a little bit in a in a quieter more well, not everybody. But you know there's there's a romanticism yep. with being out in the sticks but then you don't want the social social isolation. So to have a good balance between the two sounds great. Yeah, and that's I mean that's for everyone to decide in terms of what their yeah, how they want to live their life. It's like what do you want? Again, what do you want? What do you need and and some people, you know, love being in the city or love being in town. It's and that's a okay. And, but it's like, how do you then formulate, like, how do you create that balance and how do you create things, things that are going to satisfy your own needs, but at, at the same time, you know, like deliver those, those opportunities to actually step back and, and actually get out and enjoy what it is that you're doing. You know, it's like kind of had to laugh. It's like recently I was out on the bike ride and because we have such a great trail system, only two and a half, three miles away from my shop doors. I oftentimes don't go to other locations and there's just so much in new England. And I was like, I've been around a lot of different places doing it, but because it's so close and I've been riding here so often, it's like, I got to step back and go somewhere else for a while. Uh-huh. So that's like, you know, maybe this summer's goal is to actually get out into different locales a little more often. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, okay, so last question I have on the list here is, what is something you see lots of new, new, newer builders struggle with and suggestions you have for those struggles? Or, I mean, just general, general advice you have to others uh, about, you know, sort of like the, the process of, of getting, uh, yeah, started frame building or getting into frame building. Sure. So I guess for, for the listeners, I, I do feel quite a bit of questions from 
all different types of builders and all di- different types of people. I'm constantly getting asked questions for, for one reason or another. And it may have to do with the fact that I, I do share my process so openly. So that kind of opens me up to questions. But one of the things that I've noticed recently is, um, or, or, or advice that I would give is don't rush it. You know, it, enjoy the process of learning. Understand that in order to make bicycles, like it's a stack set of skills, like you have to build that foundation and that just takes time, number one. But also it takes a lot of dedication and patience because everyone learns at different paces um, and there is something to be said about repetition. Mm-hmm. Um, and because of our digital culture, I would say that sometimes can get lost because, you know, things are, you know, the news cycle, especially now, is just like it's rapid fire. You're constantly inundated with information and results quickly that something as mundane as, you know, filing a tube or some metal, it's like, how do you do that in one stroke versus five? And it's like that happens over a course of time and repetition, and you can't rush that process. Mm-hmm. And some people t- pick that up quickly because it's just innately part of who they are or what you know their own personal talents are, and others just take some more time to practice. Um, and I really feel as though like whenever I'm picking up the torch, I'm always constantly learning something new, um, and I'm always honing my own skills, but... I guess my best advice would be is just to not rush the whole process yeah. and, and actually step back and actually enjoy the process because I think learning is incredibly critical and it's, it's super fun. And the journey that you take from point A to B to actually achieve something can be incredibly gratifying and, and it's okay to make a ton of mistakes and you really should be making a ton of mistakes because that's how you learn and yeah. that's how things, that's how you build upon all those little steps and seek out, you know, seek out, you know, professional advice, seek out people who have, who have a ton more experience than you, uh, and listen, listen to what they have to say, see how they've, they've been doing things, practice those things, and then you can you know, have this basically like big box of tools, this tool set of different things that you can then choose from. Is, because you know, as you know, there's, there's several ways to do things, but you know, sometimes there's one, better, one way is a little better than the other, and there is some procedural things that you have to understand, and, and so sometimes it's like, all that takes a lot of question ask, a lot of, a lot of time to ask questions, a lot of time to, to listen, but also just time to let things happen on their own at their own pace. So that would be my best advice. Don't rush it. Yeah, I think that's great advice. And what you said about seeking out the guidance of people who have been around longer and known more than you, that's something that I, you know, I, I took a frame building class in 2010 and I was building bikes for years at a, you know, slow pace trying to get a shop built up. And I think when I was newer to it, I just felt like hesitant to reach out to many people who actually knew what they were doing because I didn't want to feel like I was wasting their time or something as like a noob. And so I would yep. chit chat with some of my friends who didn't know what they were doing, who were interested in frame building, who had built just like a couple hack frames or something. And, uh, sure. and, and there's value in that. There's community in that. But uh, what I realized over time, I think around, you know, I don't know, 2015 or something, after I'd been doing it a while, I started to get more comfortable uh, reaching out to people who actually, you know, built professionally and had made lots of frames for lots of years. And I found, like, the community is actually really friendly and really willing to help. You know, maybe not every person has that in their personality or that desire to share, but a surprising number of frame builders are very uh, open to talk about that sort of thing. And and they're excited to see, uh, you know, new people who are enthusiastic and talented, like, who want to learn. And um, Correct. And I really, uh, that was foolish of me (laughs) to not network more. Like, like for example, in in traditional you know, disciplines like machinists, there's, there's, you know, there's programs and apprenticeships and this traditional format, but in frame building, there is no organization. Mm -hmm. There is really no qualifications. There's no training. There's no apprenticeship programs um, that are formalized. So I think that has opened up the frame building community to that, that knowledge base sharing um, and quasi apprenticeship or quasi like mentorships that, that do happen between builder and, and, and new builder. Um, so, and I think a lot of different new builders or old builders all have their, their stories about who they learn from and, 
and who passed along things. And, you know, I certainly have those, those tales as well. So. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's how any of us learn, whether it's most of what I learned for a long time. I took a frame building class, you know, you learn just a little bit in two weeks, but then a lot of what I learned in the following years before I made more connections with other builders was just following, uh, frame building forums and Flickr. People would post, you know, before Instagram was very yep. big, people would just post their photo sets. I mean, I know you have a lot on your Flickr, but there was just, that was where every frame builder was posting photos of shop process. And that's where you see how things get done and what the styles are. And, um, so, I mean, I don't think anyone can really claim that they, they figured it out on their own. You know, they have their, uh, they, they learned from photos and stuff, if nothing else, but a lot of people who are doing well, uh, had some sort of a uh, connection to someone who, yeah, we, we all, we all, we all like to say that we've, we, you know, like we did it ourselves, <laughs> but at the, I mean, as much as that does happen in order to get to that point, you have learned a lot from a lot, like yeah. you're standing on a lot of people's shoulders and a yeah. lot of knowledge that is passed along to you. And to claim that you've done it all by yourself is a little bit, it's a little disingenuous. Yep. I mean, certainly I have not, you know, like there have been so many people in my life throughout my life that have taught me so much and I owe, you know, incredible amounts of gratitude to our, towards all those people, whether they're teachers, other professional frame builders, um, mentors, friends, you know, colleagues i've learned so much and so it's a two-way street and whatever i've learned i've tried to pass that along as well if people ask um so yeah well i think uh this podcast is hopefully uh a step in that direction of you know we can have a phone conversation for half an hour or an hour and then and then everybody gets to listen in to hopefully some some wisdom and some experience that's relevant to them and uh, so thanks so much for taking the time to be on this show. I hope that the show can actually live up to my hopes of, of, uh, <laughs> of what it can be. And, um, and I, yeah, I really appreciate you making the time. You're going to be at uh, Philly Bike Expo this fall? I will be at Philly Bike Expo, yes. You will be? Are you going to be is – uh, is Eric doing the Boston show again? I believe he is doing the Boston show in 2020. He, okay. he, he took a year off and is – I think they – something to do with locations or timing or things like that. Okay. Cause I think, I think he switched it into the spring. So it, it won't be this fall. It's going to be mm. next spring in the 2020. I think he wanted to line it up a little more with, with, um, different timing and things like that. So, all right. Well, I, I will be at the Philly bike expo. You will be there. I will be there. I need to, I need to get my booth. I'm snoozing on that. I'm going to well, lose out on the early bird pricing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Call Bina and get that set up, but, uh, I will see you there. And, uh, and, uh, I, I'm sure listeners of the show can, uh, they should also buy tickets. Well, I don't know if they're available yet. Make plans. Come to the Philly bike expo. Thanks so much, Chris. Thank you, Joe. Yep. See ya. Take care. Well, there it is. That's the first episode of the Shut Up and Build Bikes podcast. I, I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. This has happened a couple times where I've done an interview with someone that, you know, I wanted to have them on the show. I asked them. They agreed. I prepared questions. And then when I asked them the questions, I'm thinking, you know, this question will elicit this sort of response. That'll be great to get in the recording and to share with people. And uh, I don't know, kind of half thinking that I know what they're going to say or something. And then uh, invariably, uh, people provide better answers than I could have even guessed. Uh, you know, like more, just, I don't know, more interesting or more insightful. Um, and, and that is like as much as or more than I could really hope for with this show. And so uh, I'm learning and enjoying it. But I, I want to, you know, bring this along and bring you all along and, and share this with anyone who's interested in listening and, uh, you know, I'm so appreciative of the folks who have agreed to be on the show, and I hope to get a whole lot of more great guests. So uh, thank you, Chris, for being on the show. Next week, next Monday, I'm going to release the episode that I've already recorded with Sean Burns, Burnsy, of Oddity Cycles. Uh, you know, he's the one making all those squiggly tube <laughs> bikes. You know the guy. Uh, his work is beautiful, and uh, I'm thrilled to have him as my second guest on the show uh, so tune in next week for sure. The Philly Bike Expo, I looked this up, it is November 2nd and 3rd, I think that's a Saturday and a Sunday in Philadelphia at the Philadelphia Convention Center downtown. It's a great show, it's a lot of fun, there's always a lot of talented builders and beautiful work there. Uh, Philadelphia is a cool city, I really like Philly, and uh, so you should definitely pencil that in on your schedule and um, you know, if, if you're a builder and you got work to show, get a booth. 
And uh, if you're coming to spectate, you know, plan plan for that and buy tickets as soon as you can because you don't want to miss out. Uh, anyhow, uh, I hope to see you next week. I hope <laughs> I hope to hear from you. Send me an email if you like the show or if you have suggestions of who I should have on, how I can do it better. Uh, I will get an actual email address for the show probably, but for right now you can just send to my personal email that's joeroganbuck at gmail.com, J-O-E-R-O-G-G-E-N-B-U-C-K. Thanks so much for your time. We'll see you next week.